How's it, guys? You're here with me, Nick. Welcome back for this week's episode. As always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie. Yeah, Nick. Lekker, buddy. Well, before we head on over and focus on the World Cup action from this weekend, we're proud to announce that this episode is brought to you in conjunction with Fantasy Go. If you want to get involved in the Rugby World Cup action, check out Fantasy Go, a South African-based fantasy sports platform. They're putting up over 100,000 Rand in cash prizes during the World Cup in a host of fantasy contests. 100,000 Rand? Yes, that is a one with five zeros. Unbelievable, Ronnie. Put your rugby knowledge to the test and use your budget to pick your fantasy team of 15 players that you think will score the most points each round. And you could win thousands of rounds. Tell your friends to get involved too. The more people that enter, the bigger the prize pools grow. Sign up to fantasygo.io today. Yeah, Ronnie, we had a very lucky weekend. We took some leave. We went off to the bush at Mabula Game Lodge. Lucky weekend out in the in the sticks. Waterberg. Yeah, in the, the Waterberg. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. No, it was lucky. The rugby, the heat of the Waterberg wasn't so lucky. Yeah, it was bloody warm out there. What, we got 34 degrees on Saturday afternoon. While Which we're, all... we're typically used to, but, yeah. you know. Straight out of winter, though, you know, it's not, not what you expect. We were cooking out on that balcony. And then load shedding, so there's no fan. And... Yeah, that was a bit chaotic. So some of you would have seen on Instagram, Ronnie and I decided we would load up the UPS. Definite necessity. We took it along into the bush. <sighs> Couple Both... of seized backs. Yeah, so the <laughs> yeah carrying that thing down the staircase was no joke. Okay, eh? it's quite a heavy little device. Things you have to do to watch the game in South Africa. To watch the game in South Africa. <laughs> so for those of you that have been out to the bush, you know that it's already pretty dark there at night. But yes, when the load shedding kicked in, it was pitch black. It was there was not a light in sight except for our TV screen blaring on as the rugby's going on in the bush. Yeah, yeah. Lacquer one. We had some good bras out there. Uh, you had a bit of a rude awakening with Linza in the room when the monkeys came in on Saturday morning because we'd left a window open. Yeah, fortunately, he woke up just in time before the monkeys had absolutely decimated the kitchen. A couple of nachis missing, a couple of loaves of bread. Yeah. But didn't get to the biltong. Yeah, luckily didn't get to the biltong. That would have been a travesty. Yeah. Absolute travesty. Probably would have come home. Yeah, <laughs> would have had to call it quits then and there. But I think a pretty overall a pretty good way to kick off a World Cup weekend. We were away with the boys, got to watch a lot of the rugby, most of the games, in fact, except when we were sneaking in some naps from a few too many beers. I didn't nap. No, Ronnie, of course you didn't nap. What am I saying? Hey, I must have misspoken. Should we dive in then, Ronnie? Action-packed weekend. Friday night, we had the opening ceremony of the World Cup. What are your thoughts about what the French put on for us there? Yeah, well, I find it interesting that Manda was dressed as a, a cockerel. Yeah, that little red glove on his hand looked ridiculous above his head. Was it a glove? I thought it was his hand was painted. One or the other. It looked a little bit ridiculous, though, but yeah, well, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you know, for an opening ceremony, I don't think it did as well as we anticipated. Last year in the November internationals, we got to see some hectic light shows in the stadium at Stade de France. I thought we were going to see a lot more of that. It was a bit of a skit put on to show off French culture. But I think the thing that surprised me most, and I would love an explanation on it, maybe you can tell us, Ronnie, why on earth was Dan Carter presenting the trophy? Well, I've heard a couple of reasons for it. I mean, you said Azulcia should be there, handing it over. I think that's probably unlikely seeing that he was preparing for, for, for a rugby match against the Scots on the other side of the country. So I think that's why he wasn't there. But then you would probably someone like John Smith or someone to step in. 
But what I've heard is that the case for the for the trophy and the trophy itself is sponsored by Louis Vuitton, and Dan Carter is a representative. So as the owners of the trophy um, and the sponsors of the trophy and the case, they got to decide who who presented presented the trophy. But don't you think that this World Cup opening ceremony sort of failed to include the essence of rugby? Because at previous World Cups, you've seen the captain from each team take to the field and. You know, it's been a big show of the unity, the world in union. Well, on that note, how much of the world in union did you actually hear? There were only just a few notes yeah. that came out that didn't really... You know, that's that's when I think Rugby World Cup, I think Claire Johnson and, you know, Lady Smith, Black Mambo's singing the world in union in 1995. I mean, that's just that iconic song. And I, if I think back to 2019, I also think of that song and the rendition of the world in union that they had then. But that didn't stand out to me in this opening ceremony. Bit of a letdown. Yeah, I'd like to hear from any of the guys that tune in on this episode. If you were at the stadium, what was the vibe like there ahead of kickoff? Did you enjoy the opening ceremony? Obviously, we don't get the same experience over TV, but I do feel like France could have done a little bit better. Yeah, so considering that they've got the Olympics coming up as well, I thought that they would have used this as a real opportunity to trial run some epic epic, uh, displays. But yeah, look, there was a guy that was hoisted up into the air, very high up into the air. Those cables were just barely attached to him. So that was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I thought 2019 was very cool with Mount Fuji making a presence. This time they had the Eiffel Tower. But yeah, what of a letdown. I won't get into the politics, but Macron did uh, get booed. So when he stepped up to the the podium. Yeah. Let's not go down that route. Well, talking about booing, what on earth were we experiencing with those anthems, Ronald? Call <laughs> me Ronald, okay. Yeah, I don't know. And they've asked a lot of the teams about that in post-match press conferences. And, uh, you know, Sierra and them all said, yeah, no, it was fine. And I think they, they're just trying to not be very mean to the children. But uh, some of it's apparently pre-recorded as well. And, yeah, it's just the rhythm was off. Yeah, I don't know. The French have a history of butchering other nations' anthems. Rusty you can't Masani. forget good old Rusty Masani, as you say, Ronnie. You know, so please, I hope they change that up. It completely robbed the French anthem, the New Zealand anthem, our anthem, and that whole vibe. And we really get into it before the game. It's just not there with the choir singing it. It's, yeah, I'm well, sorry. exactly that in the opening ceremony, in the opening game, those anthems were terribly, terribly out of sync with what the crowd was singing and the players. So. You know, surprised me is even though it was out of sync, it still ended on the same night, which was fantastic to see. Yeah, strange, some some sort of coordination at least. Ronnie, then since we're on the opening game, we saw France get a 27-13 win over the All Blacks. You know, we and and about our pick on Super Brew for this game. It was a hectic, hectic one to call. France deserved victors, though. Yeah, so like you said, we undenied and we had a split decision on this one. I was convinced that the All Blacks would take it. And 30 seconds before the game, you also said you should have backed the All Blacks and you actually went for France, which turned out to be the correct decision. I got it wrong. But to me, going into that game, there was no right or wrong. I expected the All Blacks to be a little bit better than they did. And they they just didn't fire. Yeah, well, I mean, when we saw Aaron Smith's face when he led the hacker and he had his, I don't know if it's an oar or a spear, taking their own wooden spoon with them to the World Cup. <laughs> but, you know, he looked really serious and they looked really fired up. And I immediately regretted backing France on Super Brew. Luckily, I did because I ended up with the points. But 
I expected much more from the All Blacks. You know, Mark Talia, he got two tries. He was very impressive. They just couldn't hold out the, the French side, though. Ronnie, Sam Kane, withdrawn before kickoff. I like Sam Kane. I like his leadership. And, you know, he's, often you have to pick a player for his leadership. But I've always been a fan of Dalton, Papa Ali. I probably butchered the surname, but I've always been a fan of him. So when he withdrew late notice, I thought, oh, well, this is this is going to work. And we did have a conversation with saying, oh, okay, Dalton's young, you know, young and dumb, so they can make mistakes, right? But Adi didn't finish that sentence. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he can make a couple of mistakes, which Van Kane probably wouldn't have, but, you know, he's a very good rugby player. So when they moved him over to seven, I thought that, that was probably the right move. And, you know, I, I thought that the All Blacks were definitely going to take it. I mean, I was convinced of it. I think they also crucially missed Geordie Barrett in the centres. They didn't have that real punch factor to, to get over the game line of the French. You know, Brady Retallick then is called up to the bench. We were understood that he wouldn't be available so for this game. We were surprised by that. Yeah, one. so Guzzler was included. Good to see that he's come back from injury. And on the injury front, the All Blacks have now called up Blackadder. Ethan replacing the wing. Yeah, so that's very interesting for replacing the wing. But yeah, look, they obviously feel that they need that depth at loose slash lock. And, you know, they, they, they haven't had enough depth there. That's been a recurring theme in a lot of their press conferences. Yeah, you know, Ronnie, another thing that we spoke quite extensively about was this home crowd. Is it an advantage? Is it a disadvantage? You know, it really can swing both ways. But I think you have to have to give credit where it's due. France's ability to absorb the pressure from the All Blacks, they dividends, they got the crowd on their side, they they really performed in front of their home fans. And I think this shows that France are going to be incredibly tough to take on in this World Cup. Yeah, a bit of a relief, I suppose, the well, us and France winning the opening fixture because as it stands, look, if all everything goes the Springboks way will probably not be facing France in the quarters, which up until up until the opening game I was happy to face them and not the All Blacks, but I think I'd rather I'd rather face New Zealand now. Yeah, I think if we can both top our pools and avoid a quarterfinal clash, my prediction is a France SA final. But yeah, they look deadly, they look well organized, and they've definitely shaken off that temperament they used to be renowned for where they good one day, bad the next. This is a French side that's been prepared for this. They've come to play. And I'm very excited to see what they're still going to dish up, Ronnie. Let's just agree, though. Yes, everything you said is true. But there were elements of their game where they were subpar. True. True. But also, we saw nerves in a number of the opening fixtures this weekend as teams get settled into the competition. Ronnie, let's then jump over to a big scoring game. Was Italy 52, 8 points to Namibia? (laughs) Yes. A couple of interesting memes and gifs coming out of that game with the uh, Namibians. Tarted props sucking a lot of air. But yeah, look, Italy, well done. That's what we really expected from them. They were going to be very dominant. I mean, Italy's not, you know, they've they've showed that they they can go up against the, the biggest and the best in recent months. And look, dominant performance from them. Proud of them. Would have liked Namibia to come away with the win, but it wasn't to be. It was going to be a big ask. Yeah, you know, in Italy, we spoke about how crucial the points difference would be for them in this World Cup. Do you think they're licking their lips at the prospects of facing the All Blacks now? That's a big ask. I'm uh, just like, it's got to be asked though, Ronnie. Uh, I think I think Italy better hope that there's some sort of huge heat wave where the 
fixture versus the All Blacks gets cancelled, then they get two points from that fixture. Like they <laughs> second did in, draw. No, the second draw, like they did in 2019. So, yeah, I don't know. Look, I mean, it's a big loss for, for the All Blacks now lose against Italy also. That's just hectic. Ronnie, then we go over to the biggest score difference of the weekend. Ireland 82, eight points Romania. This was a hectic game because we predicted Ireland to put out a couple of their frontline players for game time, but largely to to put in what you would consider a second string side. Then out comes the team sheet and it's loaded. You've got Tad Furlong starting, Josh van der Fleer, you know, Kalen Doris, Sexton, Henshaw, they're all there. Big, big side name to take on probably the smallest nation at the World Cup. Yeah, look, I think I, w- I would have liked to have seen the team sheet. You know, last week's podcast, I said Romania would be would uh, would halt, stand their ground against Ireland because I figured Ireland would put together a second or a second string team with the exception of perhaps a nine ten combo with Johnny Sexton in there, giving him some game time. But yeah, look, they they put a very strong team together, and which is which is hectic to do as well because. You know, you've got to take the Minnow Nations and this, you've got to use those with your peripheral players and so that you can rest your, your, your first, your, your, your first, what's the word? Your top your players. Team. Your first string team, right? And, and they didn't do that. They went down all games blazing and you know what? They probably should have scored more than 82. Yeah, well, 12 tries they scored in the end. But interestingly enough, maybe this means they want to rest some of their top players for the Tonga game so that they're primed to take on the Springboks and not risk injuries there. But that also poses a potential danger, because Tonga can throw in an upset. They're a side that's got a lot of quality players in it now, and they could really throw an upset. So it'll be interesting to see what Ireland's tactic is going forward. I think part of their decision was obviously to get Sexton in line with some of the combinations he's going to be playing with during the World Cup, now that his ban has been served. But... Ronnie, I also have to give credit to the Romanians. They had managed to breach the Irish try line. Yes, agreed. So, I mean, my dad actually sent me a message, and I do agree with it. I think the one takeaway you can take from Ireland and Romania is that Romania should have performed better than they did. Yeah. I don't actually think that we could take too much from the Ireland scoring 82 and 12 tries. I still don't know where we stand with Ireland, and I don't think that they know where they stand either. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Ronnie. Then first win for Eddie Jones's Wallabies as they got a 35-15 victory over the Georgians. Yeah, so I expected the Georgians actually to put up a, a bigger fight than that. But yeah, look, well done, well done to to the Wallabies. And yeah, Georgia didn't lose as badly to the Wallabies as the All Blacks lost to us two weeks ago. Yeah, I was expecting a little bit more from the Georgians. I was expecting them to, especially their loose trio, put a lot more pressure on Carter Gordon. That didn't materialize. Interesting call in the week was Eddie Jones naming Ben Donaldson at fullback, a position he hasn't previously played. It was seen as a quite a bold selection. But Ronnie, it Two really tries. seems to have paid off. He scored 25 points in this fixture, 12 carries for 117 meters. Yeah, so he scored two tries, if I'm not mistaken, and actually butchered his third try. So he yeah. came very close to a hat-trick. Yeah, and first hit out in the fullback jersey. Yeah, so well done to the Wallabies. I still, the jury is still out in terms of how powerful they actually are. Georgia is a good team to to blend a lot of these players and combinations with. And, you know, it's a good intro, but their next couple of matchups, we're going to really see whether the Wallabies can compete and whether they actually are a dark horse because it was the I think it was a good first game for the Wallabies to have. They were under a lot of pressure without any victories. 
coming in against Georgia, it's a team strong enough to give you a good run, but probably not so strong that they're going to topple you. So Eddie Jones can get a bit of momentum. They've got a little bit of breathing room now, which I'm sure they'll appreciate. And like you say, it'll be interesting to see what they can put on for the remainder of the World Cup. Ronnie, then the game that definitely surprised me the most this weekend, and that was England 27. You mean George Ford. Los Pumas. So George Ford 27. Yeah, much more reliable than George Hilux. <laughs> or George Toyota. That's a terrible joke. But okay, but George Ford scoring 27 points, which I didn't realize. So all 27 points from George Ford, right? Yeah, I think Marcus Smith may have got the last conversion. Okay, all right. But uh, well, George Ford, three drop goals. And they weren't easy. Like 10 minutes. They weren't, they weren't easy drop goals. Not only were they not easy, they came at a crucial point in the game. You know, Momentum Tom Curry just being red carded. They were a man down. Argentina really could have taken the game by the, by the scruff there. And George Ford had, having none of it, slots a drop goal, slots another one. And then just the third one inside 10 minutes for good measure. So I didn't realize, I thought we were watching a replay. I thought he'd actually kick two drop goals, but that's how quick that happened. I thought we were watching replays, but. George Ford, where does Owen Farrell fit in when he comes back? That's definitely a good question because George Ford, man of the match performance, he really ran that back line. And it actually blew my mind to see that he's got 87 test caps. So he's a very experienced campaigner in that English side, actually, making it tough for Owen Farrell to make a comeback later. Well, Owen Farrell should just stay at home. Clearly England know what they're doing with George Ford at 10. Ronnie, does Tom Curry red card? So... Actually, it's a pretty funny one for me because I was talking to Max over at the Black Jersey and I told him, Max, there's going to be a red card tonight. It's either Tom Curry or Manu Tuolagi. And boom, Tom Curry gets a red card. So what do you think of that, Ronnie? Yeah, I didn't think it was red card worthy, but that's because I don't know the laws of the game that well. So you were convinced it was a red card. I think you said red card. But yeah, so Bunker Review, I thought, worked very well. Send them off and uh, they confirmed that it should be upgraded to a red. And he took part no, no, no further. So, yeah, I thought it was unfortunate. And it happened three times this weekend. Three different results, too. Yeah, one was a red, one was a yellow, and one was nothing, which yeah. we'll get onto a little bit later. But, again, England trialists, Ronnie. England's, England is very impotent in their attack, and they're failing to get over the whitewash. And that's something they're going to have to sort out, because it's really not a good look for the side. Yeah, no, it is concerning for them, not concerning for us. We're happy to see that, but yeah, but you're right. Like, you know, they all 27 points came from kicks, apparently. So, uh, you know, where the tries, where the tries. But do you need to score tries if your kicker can kick three drop goals from 50 meters out? Yeah, but remember now, if you look at the pressure that your fly half's going to be under in other games, I mean, we'll get answered. But Finn the pressure Finn Russell was under. You know, it, that also changes game to game. Ronnie, Los Pumas were the favourites to win that one. Undoubtedly. Everyone yeah. thought it It was the majority pick on Super Brew. Where did they go wrong? I, I really don't know where they went wrong. I think those drop goals, you know, you're a little bit shell-shocked. All of a sudden, you know, they were nowhere near scoring. And then all of a sudden, nine points. You know, you're nine points down and then you send catch-up. Then there's scoreboard pressure. Then, you know, the Oaks start bickering or biggering, sorry. You know, it's 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 unfortunate. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I also can't pinpoint where they went wrong. Definite drop in intensity from the Argentines. They weren't clean at the rucks at all. And England punishing them, and they shouldn't have. On paper, they should not On have. On paper, they shouldn't have. But 
Again, this is another call I got wrong. I was convinced New Zealand would take it. I was convinced Argentina would take it. I was wrong on both fronts. So, moral of the story, guys, don't listen to Ronnie's picks on this podcast. No. Look, <laughs> last week I said they will start with Bongi and Benambi. We'll talk about the Springboks now. They started with Malcolm Marks. I said they should start with uh, Dwayne Vermeulen. They started with Jasper Visa. I said they should start with, da- uh, with Andre Estazen. They started with Damien. So, those three plus the call uh, where I said All Blacks would beat France, plus this where I was convinced Argentina would beat England. It's whatever I say, just do the opposite. <laughs> there you guys have it straight from Ronald's mouth. Funny, then quickly over to Japan. They got a 42-12 victory over Chile. I think Chile deserves some praise. They really fought hard in this one. Gave Japan a tough time. So let's just first get this off the bat. Uh, you spelled Chile wrong. I did accidentally in the post. I spelled Chile, C-H-I-L-I. I did get called out for it, and I did edit it and fix it. But apologies for that, guys. I must also just say, Ronnie... You know, it's me doing the social media. You saw me doing all those team sheets. It's a lot, guys. I I didn't expect it to be that that tough. And I did make a couple of mistakes in some of the team sheets. Do promise to do better, but... He also promises to take a beer as punishment. Fine. You know what? I will do so, Ronnie. I will. But yeah, I will do better for this week, guys. Give me a chance. But Ronnie, Japan shadows of their former selves. You're right. So we've spoken about this now for a couple of weeks. You know, they, they this last World Cup cycle has been good to them. You know, it's not that they've been terrible, but they just haven't they haven't gone up as we expected them to. They sort of plateaued a little bit, and I think a lot of the teams around them got better, whereas Japan just kind of stayed the same. So a little bit disappointing to see, but still, 42 points to be able to score that. Fantastic. And, and Chile was, they put up a big fight, and I don't think anyone, and especially the Jap- Japan, didn't expect Chile to put up such a fight, which is amazing to see. Also worth a mention, I think Japan would have gotten the same that Australia did out of this game, in that, you know, they haven't had victory in quite a while. They needed a bit of breathing space, a bit of momentum. So they would have ticked that box, but they're going to have to pr- improve drastically if they're going to challenge in their pool. If they want to get out, it's a big ask. But look, to get five points out of it, Score differential doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's about how many points you can get out of the game, either four or hopefully five. And, uh, you know, I'm convinced that they actually did get five, but you know, unless they, they kicked 100 kicks, I don't know. Ronnie, then the game of the weekend, probably it was the last fixture of the round. Wales 32-26 Fiji. Yeah, so we're jumping ahead to the last one just to say yeah. box the last. Okay, sure. But I agree. And I did make comment of this figuring. But Dan Bigger, man, that guy's that guy is a terrible teammate. Very, very loud and in the refs here a lot of the time. Yeah, and shouting at his own players, and you know, and then he he has audacity to to call and George North out, and then he goes in and misses a kick. So he should check himself first. Dan Bigger, you know, not you're not bigger than the team. Yeah, very theatrical on the field. Definitely, he needs to wind it in and and lead by example because he's a hugely experienced Welsh player. Sure. And they need that leadership in what is now a very young side. Sure. Ronnie, the most crazy stat from this whole game for me is that Wales had to make 237 tackles. 237, guys. Fiji only made 62. Yeah. So I actually saw a different stat to that, but yeah, it's along those lines. Exactly that. I almost fell off the couch when when I saw that stat with five or six minutes to go. Fiji, well, bloody done. You know, you attacked. And, but 
Well done on, on Wales for making 237 tackles. They missed a lot, but that's because they had to make 237 tackles, which is incredible. But it just goes to show, Fiji are dangerous. You've got to have a very powerful defensive unit to, to counter Fiji. They are so dangerous right now. Probably, you know, other than the Springboks, Fiji, I'm backing Fiji. They are so lacquer to watch. Yeah, they really play a good flair attacking rugby. They want quick ball, recycle it, send their big backs out into battle. You know, and also some BMT shown from them. They were 32-12 down at one point, scoring two tries to come back. And Radraga, had he not dropped that ball, would have been in and they would have had a kick to win the game. Yeah, I was very unlucky with that at the end there. So I actually, I was watching this and it was late at night and when some of our friends were sleeping and I actually screamed out loud because it was so close. I was cheering them on, even though it worked against my, my super brew pick, you know, just wanted Fiji to score in the end there because it was an incredible 15 minutes of rugby at the end there from Fiji. They were so dangerous. And Wales got got very lucky to come away with a win. Yeah, absolutely. So Wales will be happy with that. I know Gatland said there were a couple of stupid moments from his players, but overall happy to have secured a first win. Ronnie, let's go over to the Springboks then. We have an 18-3 victory over Scotland. Yeah. A little bit lackluster in the first half. You know, what are we going with halftime? 6-3 or something? Yeah, very, very close at halftime. You know, they won a scrum penalty at the end of the first half. Finn Russell kicked three points. And, you know, I heard I heard you saying there, very worried. The score's not big enough. Yeah, I was definitely worried. I think the most worrying thing of the first half was Ibn Etzebeth going out injured. It's a shoulder injury. It's been confirmed now seven to ten days out. So he will miss the Romania game, but that's okay. I don't think he would have been selected for that in any event. Russi sharing that sentiment with everybody. So at least our enforcer will be back. But yeah, Ronnie, we weren't ahead. And again, showing that inability in the early stages to convert pressure into points. And I'm going to say it. I said it while we were watching. I think those are the moments that you need Vili. Vili is there. He's going to call for the ball out wide and you're going to see a quick one-two with Caden and Moody or Kirtley or Cheslin or Mapimps in the corner, whoever it might be on the day. Yeah, no, you're right. Look, I think oh, it's it's a difficult one to say. I back Vili, 100, well, 99%. I was a little bit concerned when, you know, he came on, he knocked on a couple of balls, but just that's just natural. You know, when you're watching the Springbok rugby, you demand excellence. We're very difficult fans. But yeah, maybe Vili was the right choice maybe in those moments and we, probably we could have had a couple more tries in the first half if Philly was there. But look, hindsight. Yeah, obviously hindsight. Ronnie, incredible pressure from the Springbok pack put onto Finn Russell. He wasn't able to get it kicked away. No, we actually He's, thought he broke his ribs at one stage because yeah. they were really targeting him. They were going after him. He got smoked by Sos. You know, he couldn't get his passing options away. He tried the grabber once or twice. It didn't come off. They were relentless coming down his channel. And then the one break that they do engineer, Darcy Graham gets the ball. They're running down the wing, and what a tackle from Marnie Lubbock in cross cover. Yeah, so that's one of those where you just got to back the play, you take the player with the ball, and yeah, that's exactly what happened. The yeah. best for me was seeing Marnie shout to Damien, I've got him, yeah. so that Damien could drift and cut off the pass option. Well, this is something we will talk about, I suppose. When it comes to Marty's kicking, right? So yeah. it's a bit of a question mark there. But we've now watched the press conference, post-match press conference, and we realize that Marty is fronting up in other areas. You know, so so everybody comes and they, 
as a unit, they cover all bases. And the fact that Marnie's tackling, he's right in there in the trenches. They're, they're not hiding him out on the wing. That's great to see. Yeah, just taking that comment further, because I had a bit of a chuckle when Sia said it. He's like, you know, Marnie might not be kicking well on the day. Fuff can kick up. It's how a team works. You know, if one guy's struggling in one area, someone else steps in and that's fine. And then Sia went on to say, you know, some teams have to hide their fly halves because they can't tackle. But Marnie's here in the line. And Marnie actually made one hell of a good hit on Jamie Ritchie. So getting through his work and then come that cross kick to Kirtley Orange. The no-look cross kick. A no-look cross kick. I, I saw some people actually like berating him for doing that, which I disagree with, right? So there's, you could be arrogant or you could be confident, right? He wasn't being arrogant. He was being confident. It was instinct. He knew what he was doing. He'd been practicing it, obviously, a lot. Because we've seen it in all the, in the warm-up matches leading up to the World Cup. It's been happening once or twice in the game. The cross-kick was, was deployed, and uh, it came off beautifully. Marnie, don't look. Close your eyes. Whatever you want to do, my man. Just keep hitting cross-kicks like that. Whatever works for you, my boy. Because that was phenomenal. We- it was pinpoint. Curtly in. It's exactly what we want to see from the box. So some of our mates that weren't rugby fans were sitting there watching that and going, yo, no, very, very impressive from Marnie. He deserved man of the match for sure. You know, Ronnie, Grant Williams then comes on and makes a cracker of a run. If it wasn't for a Finn Russell ankle tap, he would have been in for a try. 60, 70 meters or something ridiculous. That that. man has pace, eh? Absolute, absolute pace. So... You know, Ronnie, first half we saw Scotland, they were holding the box, not really winning the collisions and so on. But the last few minutes, they got some momentum in the scrums, which would have really pissed Bruns Malherba off. Came on the second half and immediately the box turned that around. And from there, it seems like we just climbed on top of that Scottish pack and really put the pressure on. And they just weren't able to hold it and fin behind a pack that was going backwards. It was very ineffective. Yeah, it's not the first time where we've come back and hit first thing in the second half so clearly whatever was being said or shouted or screamed or you know done at half time it really works so the boys came out firing and they they made up for for the failure at the end of the first half with conceding that scrum penalty but uh yeah i have we have to give credit to to scotland because to win those scrum penalties against what is obviously one of if not the best scrums in the competition from the spring box you know well done to them so it did uh, take South Africans. To yeah, I was going to say, P.F. Skumon, well, well <laughs> and, bloody and done. And Petrus. Yeah, so Willem Petrus, VPNL maybe didn't have the greatest game when he came on, but definitely P.F. Skumon, he's a, he's a unit. Yeah, and Xander Fagerson also having a pretty good outing in the first Absolutely. Right there. So, so, well done. The box stepped it up in the second half. That was good to see. Ronnie, something both sides seemed to struggle with, however, the Springboks getting the most dividends out of it was the ability to field the up-and-unders. They were very, very messy. I don't know if the guys are putting a lot of people in the way to make sure that the ball gets spilt because we were definitely getting the knock-ons and we were loving the scrum contest coming from it. But it's something that the Springboks have been doing in a lot of games and not really fielding those kicks yet. Yeah, I thought that there were two there were two strategies with the kicking, first half and second half. So first half, I thought Fuff was kicking, you know, the team in general was perhaps kicking shorter kicks that were perhaps not as high and uh, we couldn't get our players underneath them in time and things got a little bit messy. I thought in the second half we might have kicked a little bit longer, a little bit higher and Oaks got under the ball a little bit better. But look, yeah, it is very messy. But if you have a scrum like ours, 
you know, use it. Use it. Exactly. Well, I can't fault you on that, Ronnie. That definitely makes sense. Last thing for this game. What do we make of Russie's light show? Making up for the French's lack of a light show. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> no, so I still don't. I plans in my mind and ideas in my mind about why and what it is that we would possibly be communicating. I would imagine it was something like, you know, send the ball wide or increase the width of your of your attacking line or increase the width of your defensive line or or you know rush a little bit faster or rush just a come at the world rugby you know whatever or yeah. maybe maybe it means nothing and we're just uh, you know it's a red herring but you know Jacques mentioned in the in his post match press conference they actually use it to communicate with the support staff yeah uh, about injuries about injuries I'm not really buying no nah, I also thought that that was a little bit cheeky but it's definitely from Rassi's book of shithousery there's no doubt about it and in all honesty, it would not surprise me in chasing the croissant if Rusty comes out and he's like, I just gave them something to look at. It actually meant fork all. Yeah. Look, let's be honest. We'll probably never know. Yeah. Well, pro- well maybe they're going to release it in a documentary. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Everyone's speculating. No one has the answer. But whatever it is, it's working. We're yeah. winning. Sure. Ronnie, how's our Super Brew log looking then? I know you're very far from the top. Two. Okay, so just going to get you and me out of the way. I am eighth on the log. Eighth. Ronnie, come now. You can do better than So I'm at 1,339th. Where are you? Mm. Ronnie, I'm about half of where you are. I'm 726th. That is kind of half. Yeah, I'll let you have it. Thank you. Okay, so we're going third place and third place... Outright in third place, so we've got Beza, 31, he's on 12.5 points. In second place, Mr. Weeks, don't mess with him, John Wick, he's also on 12.5 points. And top of the top of the pops, we've got Andrew, Andrew's on 12.75 points. And that's Andrew from the best days, and he has 1,311 caps. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Laka, Andrew, please do get in touch. We did post it out on the socials today. You've won yourself a May Fok Chom shirt for being the best in the round. Also, guys, a huge thank you to everyone that's tuning in. We have 3,000 people playing in our Super Brew pool, which is incredible. That's the goal that we set for this season. Our previous biggest pool, Ronnie, was only 1,400. Thanks for turning up for us, guys. We really do appreciate it. And I know how much you all enjoy beating Ronnie, so I'd never want to take that away from you. Yeah, you're counting your chickens, my friend. The competition is long. There's 48 games to in the World Cup, and uh, that's... You've that's already long. lost six of them. Oh, man, don't be ridiculous. Just be careful now, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up. We're going to refer back to this episode. Okay, good. And then some of you might have seen we do have a creator's pool, so that's some of your favorite rugby pages out there all competing with each other. Gabsy from Rugby Hub is in pole position. He's had a very good round yellow cap, 10 points. I am in second, luckily, keeping him on his toes. And in third place, right behind me, is Bring for Maddie Bork. So very, very competitive with Lackey from Pick and Drive Podcast in fourth place. Where are you, Ronnie? So, I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle. You're sixth. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Let's just move on. <laughs> all right, so that's all the action from the World Cup this weekend, Ronnie. Let's just take a jump over and see the games that are coming because... Thursday night, we see France playing Uruguay. Uruguay? Yeah, what do you make of this one? Yeah, so it's be interesting what team they put out. So we expect them to put out as, you know, the peripheral players, the outer players, give them some game time. You know, it was a big clash against the All Blacks. So their, their first string players will probably be sitting on the bench or carrying the water bottles. But yeah, look, it has to obviously, not obviously, uh, anything can happen. We've seen this happen before. 
But uh, we expect this to be a comfortable win for France. Yeah, then we move over. We've got New Zealand versus Namibia. You know, this is a game New Zealand's now going to be under pressure to really do well in. I think they are going to put out a fairly strong team to make sure they notch up some points in this one and try and correct some of the failings in their game at the moment. You know, tough one for Namibia because, honestly, they're... They've got a difficult draw here. They've got very difficult teams. And if they lost by 50 points to the Italians, I think they've got a big, big struggle coming their way on Friday night. Yeah, sure. Ronnie, over to Saturday. We have Samoa facing Chile. What do you make of that one? Yeah, so we want to see Chile put up a big, big performance. But I think the Pacific Island nations have shown us that, you know, they are they're here to play. And they you got to be very careful when you play the Pacific Island nations. So I expect Samoa to obviously come away with the win. But yeah, let's let's hope that Chile can put up a bit of a fight. It's good to see the underdog sometimes, uh, you know, impress the world. Yeah, it would be great to see Chile be competitive. First game for Samoa at the World Cup as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they get their campaign off. But we know they pushed Ireland in the warm-up games. I'm expecting a solid outing from them here. Then over to Wales, they face Portugal. Another game that they'll be looking forward to building some momentum. You know, Gatlin will be tweaking the team, trying to find his strongest side for when they face tougher opposition later on. Also a tough one for Portugal, seeing a solid Welsh win in this one. Sure. Ronnie, take us through the Ireland versus Tonga game. That's the one that rounds out Saturday night. Yeah, so this is exciting for you and me, right? So we have been for a bit of an upset here. And we consider an upset being Tonga uh, beating the Irish, beating the number one ranked team in, in the world. If Tonga... Beat Ireland, I will do a shoey. I'll do a shoey. I'll do a shoey. And you told me outright you will never do a shoey. Yeah, before. I'll buy a new shoe, but I'll do it. <laughs> You'll buy a new. No, you have to do a shoey out of an old used shoe. I've only got slops, Ronnie, so we're going to have to well, make a plan. Yeah, that's you know what, Tonga? Fun. It's on the line. If you guys beat Ireland, I will be so happy. I'll do a shoey. That is a. Come on, Tonga. There we go. No, look, it's not, it's, not, it's not impossible, right? So, look, it's very difficult to go up against the number one ranked team in the world. They are number one for a reason. They've had how many how many straight wins now? It's getting a little bit dicey. We don't want them to get the record, but they are on 14 now. Oh, they're on 14 now. So, Tonga, please, you know, we know you're capable. You've got incredible players, and uh, that's that's what we want to see. Yeah, so definitely backing Tonga there. Then we start off the fixtures this coming Sunday with a game against Romania. That's it to kick off at 3 p.m. 82 points, they went down to the Irish. Are we expecting more or less from the box, Ronald? Sure, I think 82 is probably... Uh, look, I would like to see 82 on the scorecard with our peripheral players. The thing is, you say peripheral players, but I look yeah. at this game and I'm like, it's probably going to be Andre Esther Hazen and Kanan Moody in the centres. It's going to be Mapimpi and, and Kirti Orenson on the wings. Philly's no. starting at fullback. You've probably got Jaden starting at nine, like... You know, you're, you're absolutely right. As I was saying it, I was like, you know, you can't actually, that doesn't apply to the Springbok squad because it's probably, it's the most difficult team to pick, right? You, you, who, who is, who's the best hooker? Who's the best lock? Who's the best, you know, we've got, we've spoiled for choice. You know what I would love to see happen in this game, Ronnie? What? A loose trio combination of Quacher, Dion and Marku van Staden because there's some real pace there and then an animal in Marku van Staden to run it up. Then you put some calm heads like your Peter Steff and Dwayne on the bench to come on later. Yeah, sure. Because like you said, whoever you choose, it's 
It's formidable. Yeah, it's going to be. And you're probably looking at a locking partnership of Marvin, Ori, and John Klang. It's, you know, I'm sorry, Romania. I really wouldn't want to be you guys right now. But like, even with that team, right? 82 points would be fantastic. Absolutely, it would. Then a very interesting fixture from this weekend. We have the Wallabies hosting Fiji. Yeah. So now I think this is going to be Australia. This is going to be a real test for Australia. I think whoever loses this game doesn't make it out the pool. Oof. 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 Yeah, that's, you know, these, that, that, comp, that pool is very competitive. And you're absolutely right. The team, teams need to win every, every chance that they get because to get out of that pool is going to be very difficult. But Fiji can do it. And, you know, they have a very big chance of, of, of winning. Yeah, I would love to see it. Fiji definitely struggling without their primary fly-off now, but it would be great to see them notch up a win over You the say Wallabies. that, though, but you seeing their performance against yeah. Wales, like, I, I, was, I also went to the game and said, all the tough luck, Fiji, you've lost your fly-off. But, jeez, they performed, they, they played their socks off. They did, Ronnie, you're definitely right. And then we have England versus Japan as the final fixture for round two. That's going to be an interesting one. England desperately need to get some tries under their wings start challenging as a team. Japan, on the other hand, need to pick up a performance. Otherwise, this will be the end of their World Cup as well. So two very desperate teams. Yeah, two teams that desperately need a win. I do think England will tip this one, though. <sighs> yeah, I'm not going to make a call. I'm gonna, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say I'm saying England's going to win this one. And you know what will happen then? The opposite. Oh, well, that would be great, Ronnie. That would be very, very great. Ronnie, just some closing remarks. I see the Stade de Marseille. There's been quite a few access problems there with fans complaining, especially around the England-Argentina game that they couldn't get into the stadium in time. I know World Rugby has addressed it. But I'm also made to understand that at the box versus Scotland game, beer ran out five minutes after kickoff. Yeah, so that's, that's a little bit unfortunate and you don't want that happening. That will be a huge problem at an Irish-South African game because both love their beers. <laughs> Yeah. Got to over cater for that. You no, can't. It's not possible to under cater. You can't run out of yeast. But yeah, no, absolutely. And then I just hope that they fix Marseille's uh, crowd crowd flow issues because I am going to be there in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> there we go, Ronnie. Last remarks. Then Tom Curry. You know he's got a disciplinary hearing set by World Rugby, so we'll know his fate soon. Waiting to hear if the review panels picked up the Jesse Creel incident. Yeah, so, I mean, we spoke, we mentioned it earlier in this pod, where we had the three three incidents, each with a different outcome. So, head contact, head-to-head contact, right? The tackler's going in upright. Tom Curry, you know, he got uh, he got sent to the review bunker and then upgraded it to red in the Chilean player. I thought his name escapes me. He also, same, same situation. Yellow. But they kept it at yellow. And no one looked at Jesse. In fact, they were all looking at Finn Russell's no-arms yeah. contest, you know, which was also just a penalty. But look, Jesse, that, that, if Tom Curry went off with a red card, Jesse probably should too. Yeah, I do feel like it was a red card incident. It matched the same criteria. We don't want it to happen, obviously. Don't want it to happen, but it's still possible that the review panel will pick that up. So we'll have to see. You guys can check out on our socials. We will update you if anything comes out on that. And that's a wrap, guys. And girls, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player, but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it up. 
Light the bro, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.